building and towering crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, AquamanTrine.net's Rob Kelly. As you might imagine, since I am doing the intros, uh, my normal co-host, Firestorm fans, the irredeemable uh, Shag, I was about to call him the irascible Shag, uh, is off this week. He is uh, currently addressing the Klingon High Council, so uh, he's busy. But we got a wonderful fill-in, a wonderful guest host. You know him, you love him, from the Ha Ha Hacienda down in Georgia, Mike Bailey. Mike, thanks for doing the show. <laughs> the ha ha hacienda. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? <laughs> you know, I, I love I love obscure Joker references. There you so, go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I thought of it yesterday. And, I was so proud of myself. <laughs> and, it, and it's really funny that uh, you invite me to come on the show, and I'm getting over a cold. Oh, so. Geez, geez. Oh boy. <laughs> That's that's what you guys have to do, right? Yeah, I guess so. You get colds to come onto this sort of show. Weird disease that passes over these Skype lines. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, before we get started on our topic of the day, we are going to uh, talk about our sponsor, In Stock Trades. Of course, uh, Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by In Stock Trades. Uh, Inside Trades is your best online source for trades, hard covers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. One of the deals that's going on right now, which is related to the topic that we're going to be talking about, is Justice Society Volume 1 Trade Paperback. Uh, It collects All-Star Comics numbers 58 and 67, plus the origin of the JSA story from DC Special number 29 by Paul Levitz, Joe Staten, and Bob Layton, which was like one of my all-time favorite single-issue stories. It's awesome. So it's collected in this volume. It features a beautiful Brian Boland cover. Uh, boob window, and uh, it's it's a really great book. It's 224 pages. In stock trade, the normal price is 14.99. In stock trades is selling it for eight dollars and 69 cents, 42 percent off. An amazing deal. Uh, pick it up, any of you, anyone who enjoys great fun comics, Just Society Volume One. Mike, what do you got? I have got Superboy, the greatest team up stories ever told. Nice. Trade paperback from a couple years ago. Uh, this is a 168-page book and collects, and and the reason why I chose this is because one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight did the very same thing in its pages. Uh, it it basically it's Superboy teaming up with other heroes, and by other heroes I mean teenage versions of those heroes. <laughs> uh, recently, I have purchased a copy of Superboy number 171 from Paul Kupperberg off of eBay, and that has Superboy meeting a young Arthur Curry. Yes. With a very awesome Neil Adams cover, I think it is. Yes. It's, yeah. it's a really beautiful cover. Uh, but this contains Adventure Comics 216, 253, uh, issues of Superboy, and even an issue of the new Adventures of Superboy uh, from the 80s. This is normally 19.99, but with a 42% savings, you can get it for $11.59. Good deal. Good deal. That's a lot of fun stuff in that book. That's a, mm-hmm. really a lot of fun stuff. 
So uh, I said that one of these are these are deals you can find on com right now. For these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com. Thanks, everybody. Um, so, yeah, the topic that we're going to talk about is Digest Comics, specifically. Yes. yes specifically DC Digest Comics, because uh, Marvel really didn't get into the Digest business too much. Uh, just kind of the way that Marvel did black, had a whole line of black and white magazines, and DC never really did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the exact opposite is true for the Digest. DC jumped into the Digest pool hip deep, and Marvel only sort of uh, dallied with it. Um, when I was a kid, I loved comic books. I know there's a, that's a shock. Um, but, uh, but I also loved comics that were in different formats. I am just a sucker for, like, presenting the material in a new way. So when I was a kid and I would shop at newsstands, if there were treasuries or digests or black and white magazines, I bought them. You know, I almost always bought them over the regular comics because they were a little harder to find. And... Uh, the Digest just did not appear all that much, and when I found a store that had them, I just bought every one I could get my hands on because I just love them. And then I have later gone on to complete the collection of DC Digest. So Mike and I are going to talk about them. Um, did you have them as a kid, Mike? You know, I th- this is one of the things that I missed out on as a kid but grew to love later. Like you, I am a... Man, you, you can take a story that I have read like a thousand times. You put it under a new cover, and suddenly <laughs> it's like the most fascinating things ever. It's it's like why I'm why I'm fascinated with British reprints of American yeah, comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to see, <laughs> just to see. And thanks thanks to my good friend uh, over at uh, Hey Kids Comics, the podcast, Andy Leyland. I've actually gotten a bunch of stuff from the UK, but these. The first one I ever remember reading, I was in the seventh grade. So this is around like 1988. And some, one of my friends, because I never really had a lot of friends in high school and junior high that collect, like I, I never had comic friends. Like I knew people that collected comics and we would occasionally talk about them, but our interests were always so far apart because I liked Superman and in, in, in when I was in high school until he died, if you like Superman, you might as well have been wearing a dress. So, but he, he gave me this Batman one, and I and I don't know which one it is, so I, I really can't. You know, I, I wish I could tell you, but the thing that sticks out at me about the story is that it was this villain that was pissing off Commissioner Gordon because he stole Commissioner Gordon's car, and apparently this guy paints everything mauve, which is a shade of purple. Okay. Uh, but he also had this one that had this two-part story that I would later find out was in DC Comics Presents where Pete Ross's son was kidnapped by this alien race and he was going to become like John Connor to this future interplanetary war. And Superman's basically like, well, I'm going to go save him. And the Legion's like, nope, can't do that. He's important. And he's just like, oh, well, Pete, sorry. You don't have a kid anymore. And in the next issue, Pete switches brains with <laughs> Superboy and goes to fight Superman. Okay. Oh, was, my God. Wow. And it was like this epic story, and I'm just fascinated by it. You know, even though it was, you know, hit deep in the post-crisis at that time. I just loved the idea that you had these old stories that are in these little teeny tiny books before trade paperbacks were really a thing. I mean, there were trades at the time, but it wasn't as omnipresent as like right now where you can walk into just about any bookstore and there's a graphic novel section. To have that happen back when I was in junior high, Batman had to have a movie in theaters. Yep, yep. So... That's why I love these things uh, just so much, just because these are trade paperbacks for kids in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a uh, there's a there's a DC Digest. It's uh, well, you know what? Let me let me back up just a little bit in terms of the history. DC tried to do treasury uh, treasuries, uh, tried to do digests way back in 1972. Uh, they put together two treasuries: one, a Tarzan collection. And another, a Laurel and Hardy collection. They had wow. They had bought the rights to this uh, these Laurel and Hardy comics, and they were and they gave Laurel and Hardy their own series. It ran for like two issues, and they collected them both 
in little treasury books. And for some reason, the Laurel and Hardy book never came out. It, they ran ads for it. I, I have ads on the uh, on my Digest Comics blog, but the, the book itself never came out. The Tarzan one did. It's got a great Joe Kubert cover of him uh, uh, grabbing a, a chimpanzee and wrestling him to the wrestling him. And then it's it's a collection of uh, like Russ Heath Tarzan stories, and it's a real and it's like a hundred pages. It's a really beautiful book, but for some reason, that was the only Digest DC did for like seven or eight years, and then they brought them back uh, in 1979 with the title "Best of DC Blue Ribbon Digest." The star of the very first issue of that series was see if you can guess. Uh, Superman. Superman, <laughs> but uh, the star of number two. Batman, uh, they you know they knew where their bread was buttered, and then a year later they brought out a second series called DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest, which ran concurrently with Best of DC Digest, and both titles ran until around 1985 or 86. So for a good almost 10 years, DC had two regular ongoing Digest series uh, running, and as as Mike pointed out. Uh, yeah, they were mostly, you know, reprints. Occasionally, they would stick something in that was new if they had something in inventory that I guess never had been used. Um, or like, uh, there's there's an there's a, a digest number DC special number twenty three, which is an all green arrow issue. Uh, oddly enough, that features new sort of wraparound material by Mike Barr and Dan Spiegel as Green Arrow relates all these old stories to Black Canary. Uh, it's a really funny, you know, it's a real fun way of doing it where it's like, well, you know, Dinah, one time I fought an alien and then they go to the reprint and then they run the reprint and then he comes out again. Oh yeah, that was a great story, Ollie. Well, thanks, Dinah. Did I feel the other time that, da, 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 and they went on for there. Um, and I, I, I really did love this glimpse into DC's history because, you know, this is a time before I really had access to comic shops. So it's like this stuff, once, you know, comics that were published before I was alive, they were just impossible to get, mm-hmm. you know. And here was all of this wonderful material uh, being dug out for, you know, to, for, for a, 95 cents for 100 pages, too. I mean, that's, that's an incredible deal. That's a lot of material. Yeah, any Anytime you can package these things cheaply and then put it into somebody's hands, I, I think that's one of the, the great things about them as well. And what I especially loved, especially the, the best of, uh, which I have a, a small collection of, uh, mostly that I bought, oddly, from the uh, from Jay and Silent Bob Secret Stash <laughs> uh, off of eBay. They had, like, this huge one. And, and I know you're going to be shocked that it's all, um, yeah, that it's all, you know, Superman-related. <laughs> and I, I, I know that's surprising, yes. but, you know, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm nothing if not predictable, so... Well, he was—he started a lot of the digest. They gave him yeah. a lot of digest room. Well, this was a time where he was their flagship character, yeah. and you know, I could sit here and complain about the fact that that's not the case anymore. And I would—I would more say Batman has been their flagship character probably since the '90s. Uh, I would argue since that first Batman movie is where you know he kind of raised to ascendancy, but. They devoted a lot of those best ofs to Superman, but they were all themed. And I yep. think that's another really cool thing about it. Like, one has this really beautiful cover uh, by Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano with Superman Red and Superman Blue. Mm-hmm. And it was basically uh, a bunch of imaginary stories all under one cover. And there was another one that I especially like with an Ed Hannigan and Dick Giordano cover of Superman versus Kryptonite, where he's kind of draped on these rocks that spell out Kryptonite. Yes, that best DC and, Digest number thirty-six. That's that one. That's the Kryptonite. And, and just there, there. I think the main reason I'm attracted to these now is that the covers are gorgeous. In most cases, especially on the special Blue Ribbon Digest, because there's there's two different series and it's kind of confusing. Yes. And good luck finding that on eBay, but. You know this. You know with uh, like the Doom Patrol one, you had a and, and I know this is shocking in 1981 having George Perez draw the Doom Patrol, uh, but I don't think he, they had guest starred in New Teen Titans by this point. So this is probably one of the first times he ever drew those characters uh, for number 19 of that issue. When did? Why am I suddenly losing where New Teen Titans first? What year? I thought that like, came 1980, out in 1980. Yeah. So this was, like, right around the time that they were going to start popping up in that title. And it's, 
I, I think, you know, as a collector, and I've seen these at, like, comic shows for, like, ten bucks a piece. Really? Uh, ten ten yeah. bucks? Ouch. Yeah. Um, the guy wasn't moving a whole lot of them, by the way. Uh, so, what a surprise. But it it really is the covers. Like, the one to Best of DC number 21 is something I'd love as a poster or a t-shirt. It's, it's George Perez drawing the Justice Society. Oh, man. Yeah. And you have Batman, you know, barking orders uh, with the Atom like sitting near Batman because he really can't do anything else. <laughs> uh, but you have Superman and Green Lantern and Hawkman and Flash, Dr. Fate and Wonder Woman chiseling out an, an eagle with an American shield on it while the Spectre sits there and probably makes pithy comments about how they're doing it wrong. <laughs> but no, it's but it, but there you've got three inside, though, you've got three great stories. You have the untold origin of the JSA. Oh, God, I which, love that uh, story. Which Scott and I covered, uh, my friend Scott Garden and I covered on Tales of the JSA. Uh, the Day That Dropped Out of Time, which was originally from All-Star number 35, and a Starman Black Canary team up from Brave and the Bold. So, you know, a hundred, like you said, it's a hundred pages. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, DC, and I don't know if they're still doing them, but they did these, like, 100-page spectaculars. Yeah. Where they would reprint stories you never thought would get reprinted uh, anywhere else. And, you know, they were like six bucks. But you only got like three stories. Because they were mining the Golden and Silver Age, some of these could have like ten stories <laughs> in them. Yeah, I, uh, Superman alone, uh, you were talking about all these different Superman Superman alone got 27 digests all the mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, Batman got like five. So, you know, yeah, this was the, the era of Superman could be endlessly repackaged. But, yeah, I mean, that that uh, that one you mentioned, the Justice Society, which is Best of DC Digest number 21, I bought that off the newsstands in uh, whatever, I guess it was like 1981, 1980, yeah, the end of 1981. And I still have that same copy. Uh, it's the same, and that is the one where I just you know, read that secret origin of the JSA story for the first time. And it remains one of my all-time favorite comic book stories. I just think it's so much fun. And I have to think it was the beginning of my sort of uh, obsession with the 1940s. You know, with it's got FDR in it. And, I mean, it's just it's, – it's like everything that I would later on in life really enjoy. You'll be a fan of me before it's all over. <laughs> exactly. You're the Justice Battalion. Um, yeah, and um, in terms of um, theme issues like Superman – they have Superman and his villains, Superman, as you mentioned, Superman Red, Superman Blue, Superboy with all the team-ups, Superman of the Daily Planet, Superman versus Luthor, Superman versus Aliens, Superman versus Krypt- Kryptonite, as you mentioned, Superman uh, versus the Supernatural, Superman on Krypton, Superman versus Aliens, Superman and Jimmy Olsen, Superman team-up action, best of Superman stories of the year, Superman versus uh, his super foes, Batman versus more, Superman versus more aliens. I mean, they just... Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they just didn't have a good, uh, didn't have a good title for that. Yeah, uh, more aliens, that's fine. Um, yeah, one other thing that, um, that the Digest did that I really enjoyed was that they would started, right off the bat, they started doing year's best collections. Oh, yeah, they're, these are like time capsules. Oh, man, where they, they now it, I mean, to anybody younger, that's like, what the hell is that thing? It's basically they collect, they perm through, they took votes. I guess they did it within the office. They didn't do it by people writing in. But um, they culled what they thought were the best seven or eight stories DC published that year and put them between two covers on a digest. Mm-hmm. And they had these... Uh, uh, they always had the covers. Always had all the heroes commingling. The first, the first year's best is uh, best, best of DC Digest number five, where they're all sitting together like they're at the Oscars. Yeah, which is, which is great. It always pissed me off because Aquaman is way in the back row. That, that that annoyed me. He got worse seats than Etrigan. Like, what and is that about? He's, sit, he's sitting next to Green Arrow because no one else wanted to sit next to Green Arrow. <laughs> Aquaman didn't want to sit next to Green Arrow, certainly. Um, they did it a year later where Superman is holding a giant 10 because uh, it's 10 stories. Uh, 10 in the air and then the other heroes are, are sitting on it. And then there was a, another one, number 23, which features a George Perez cover, and all of the heroes represented inside are done as Oscar statues, like they're mm-hmm. gold-plated statues. And man, ugh, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's such a gorgeous cover. But more than that, I mean, 
you guys on the Who's Who podcast talk about, you know, seeing the characters interact on those covers. On that number 11, you have Jonah Hex helping Sergeant Rock. (laughs) I'm guessing that's Sergeant Rock. I could be wrong about that. Helping him up. Yeah, that's where Sergeant, else, yeah, Sergeant Rock. Yeah. Where else are you going to see Jonah Hex and Sergeant Rock doing anything <laughs> together? I mean, theoretically, time travel being what it is. Yeah, outside of know, a Bob Haney comic, where else are you going to yeah. see that? <laughs> Who just didn't care? Uh, but you know, when you get when you get further down the line, like uh, DC Best of '61, which has a Pat Broderick cover. I mean, the the the. Length and breadth of genres. You have Swamp Thing, the anatomy lesson. Yep. You have a Sergeant Rock story. You have Atari Force. You have Teen Titans, Blue Devil, Green Lantern, Legion, Superman. I mean, this is, if you ever really want to get like an inkling of what DC was like during any particular year in the 80s, when this series was being produced, you could buy these issues and kind of get a, get a taste of what was going on. And for some people, that might have been, like, the first time they saw Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's a huge story, and it's just right there, front and center, uh, on this one. And the one before that, has a, which is number 52, has a great Paris Cullens uh, cover where... It kind of looks like all the Teen Titans are at the uh, kids' table, <laughs> yeah. and like the adults are just hanging out. But uh, <laughs> Superman's announcing the winners, and 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 Green Lantern's. You know, I, I guess he spotted someone cute because he's kind of tapping on Batman's shoulder. So, but I mean, it's it's Paris Collins. So again, you're really not going to go wrong with any of these uh, any of these covers. My personal favorites are 50 and 62, just because I like the idea of Superman and Batman being given plaques with their symbols. <laughs> yeah, number 50 is the greatest Superman story, the year's best Superman stories, and 62 is the year's best Batman stories. Yeah, I mean, think about how, you know, there were so, I mean, nowadays you could do it even, you could fill up a book twice that size of how many Batman stories they do. But, you know, you think about that, there was enough stories that you could do a best of, of just one character. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that I thought it was sort of interesting, and this happened with the Treasuries as well, is that the DC's Treasuries basically rotated around four or five central characters. Superman, Batman, Captain Marvel, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, <laughs> and like one or two others. But basically, it was those guys over and over again. With the Digests, they got a lot more... Um, uh, adventurous with their genres, as you just mentioned earlier. Um, they did two collections of plop, uh, their, yes. their humor comic from the 70s. Um, they did a one-off called the Super Junior's Holiday Special, which is an all-new book featuring uh, the uh, Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Flash as children having a holiday adventure. Um, they did Binky's Buddies and Funny Stuff and Sugar and Spike and they didn't do any of that stuff with the treasuries. They didn't do it. I mean, I guess they felt that they were a lot freer because I guess the risk was so minimal um, with doing one of these. It didn't sell well. Ah, it's all right. There's always next month, and there's always that other digest series to do. But I appreciated that too. Is that you know you look you look through this and it's like they really are representing DC's publishing history of the last fifty years pretty well. You know, uh, they're not just limiting it to to just superheroes. And, you know, it, it's it's a way to get the stories into a different market. I, I think it's it's very fair to say that for decades, Archie kind of owned the uh, checkout rack in terms of having digest-sized books there. Right, and they still do, uh, yeah. And they, yeah, they, they can still do that because apparently they either make enough money off of it or they just pay those stores enough to get that rack space. Because, uh, cause, cause, you know, grocery stores aren't giving that away just to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, oh, Archie, everyone loves Archie. But, you know, with DC kind of getting into that, it would make sense that they would put out stuff like Funny Stuff and Sugar and Spike to kind of compete on a certain level with the, I mean, Binky and his buddies is a total Archie ripoff anyways. <laughs> yeah. So... I mean, it's. I mean, I could honestly see a kid like picking that up and thinking they're getting an Archie comic. Uh, but yeah, for me, really, the, yeah. <laughs> for me, funny. The best of DC forty nine, which has a funny stuff cover 
of all these characters on a train. They put this as part of a house ad (laughs) in most of DC's books that always has Superman saying the worst thing I think you could ever say, thanks heaps. Yeah. (laughs) As he's like giving a thumb to the, to, to these people on the train. Because they they were talking about how, uh, Hey Superman, we're going to be sharing the digest with you every other month. And Superman's like, thanks heaps. (laughs) He's he's actively disdaining the funny animal characters. But, you know, from, as somebody that got into comics, uh, with reprints, uh, with Superman from the 30s to the 70s and Batman from the 30s to the 70s being in my school library, uh, growing up and checking those out constantly. Uh, if I didn't have one out, I probably had the other out to the point where the librarian actually kind of yelled at me one year because <laughs> I was taking it out too much. I'm like, well, is anybody else asking for it? Well, no, <laughs> but you need problem? to read something else. Just give, give me the Batman book. I'm please. reading. What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... Getting, you know, you were talking about getting it into, to, you know, the, the 40s through these. You know, nowadays it's very easy to pick up, I mean, both legally and illegally, entire runs of characters. Right. I mean, you with, with uh, the Chronicles lines that DC's putting out, uh, you know, between their Superman and Batman ones, you've got like the first couple, you know, years of both of those characters in total. And then, you know, jumping to the Silver Age, you could do the same thing with Green Lantern and, uh, Barry and, and, and Flash, because apparently no one would be interested in buying a Chronicles book of Alan Scott or Jay Garrick. <laughs> uh, I'd argue that point, yeah. but I don't have access to those numbers. And, uh, you know, I could be in a minority there. But to me, when you read a bunch of different eras all at once, I think it really gives you an appreciation, and because it did with me, that these characters changed over time. And if you were just reading the books off the rack, you might not, especially in like 19, the 1980s when they were doing less and less reprints within the books. I mean, in the 70s, God, they were saving money hand over fist by putting out 100-page specials and 80-page giants and stuff like that, chock full of old material, they weren't doing that a whole lot within the actual books themselves anymore. You know, that marketplace was changing where it was more of wanting news stories. So I will always kind of respect this this line of books. You know, end of the day, it's there to make money, which is fine. That's what DC's in business to do, so I'm not going to begrudge them trying to make a buck. But... To give a kid like you an idea that there were comics before now. Yeah. And that Superman didn't look the same. Batman didn't look the same. They didn't fight the same villains that they do now. And I honestly think that kind of thing led me to be more accepting of the multiverse when I finally learned about it, because it's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's the golden age stuff. I remember reading about that. This is the modern stuff. That's two different heroes. Why is this confusing? Well, apparently it's confusing because a couple people in charge said it was confusing and changed everything. (laughs) Get into an argument about that. Uh, Okay. I would, I would, I would take both sides of the issue, but you know, to, to see like a bunch of early Superboy stories, or the Christmas with the superheroes from Best of DC number twenty two, which has this oh, great uh, Rich Buckler, one, yeah. a beautiful Rich Buckler cover of Superman holding um, holding a Superman and Batman holding a wreath with the Teen Titans and Black Canary and Captain Marvel Junior uh, in there. This, of course, reprints the classic the Teen Titans Swing and Christmas Carol. Yes, <laughs> uh, which is. And the Justice League, the man who murdered Santa Claus. Oh, man, that story blew my brain open when I read it. Because that was the first time I ever read it, was in that book. And I was like, because the JLA dies throughout the story. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was a kid, and, you know, I knew they really didn't die. But, you know, I didn't know it, know it. You know what I mean? So I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> like, what's going on? How is the key killing everybody? I don't understand. And Robin's very white Christmas. Uh, I could make a joke about the RNC, <laughs> but I just won't. Um, but no, it's just the one thing that kind of bugs me, if I was going to be critical of anything, is sometimes the size of the digest really didn't help the artwork. No, it didn't. being reprinted. Like the older stories, it's not as bad. 
But, you know, as awesome as, as it was that they put the anatomy lesson yeah, yeah. In, in that digest, it looks a little weird so small. Yeah, yep. You know, it, it just, like, you almost need kind of a magnifying lens because, you know, Alan Moore was not known to, to put just a couple lines of dialogue on the page and walk away. I mean, <laughs> they, were, they were really dense, you know, kind of uh, packed scripts. So to sit there as I'm looking at it right now and read it, I mean, I guess when you're a kid and if you were like me that didn't have to get glasses till later in life, it wasn't a big deal. But now I'm like kind of struggling and I'm just like, you know, feeling like an old man all of a sudden <laughs> like, I can't read these comics anymore. Yeah, comic book printing techniques had a tough enough time with Bissett and Tottleman's artwork, let alone <laughs> shrinking it down to half size. Yeah, uh, it's, um, there were a couple specific ones that I just wanted to mention because they're they're so sort of unusual. Because uh, I always forget these things. I, we, I have all these shows that I host. I always say I want to bring up this and that, and then we then I say good night, and I'm like, damn, I forgot to mention these things. Uh, one is I mentioned uh, earlier that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was the star of like seven treasuries i guess he was a big treasury star because they kept making them i mean he had his own dc series for like 10 years so they had a lot of rudolph stories to reprint uh rudolph appeared uh in one digest that he got to himself which is best of dc blue ribbon digest number four and it's the way it the way the book reads because it uh, the back the the back five or six pages are filled with like puzzle pages it makes me think this was a treasury that never got published um, because that's the kind of stuff they put in the treasuries. They didn't put like um, drawing, uh, like how to draw Rudolph stuff or like fun in games. They didn't put that stuff in the digest for the most part because, as you just pointed out, they're so small. Uh, it really works against, you know, giving kids like activity pages when they're so small. So I'm going to bet that this was a treasury. DC basically stopped doing treasuries fairly abruptly. Um, so I'm going to – I'm. I haven't asked anyone. I should probably tr- track whoever edited this uh, at DC down and find out, but I'm going to bet that this was a treasury that uh, just got shunted off into the digest format. Um, another unusual one is the DC special blue ribbon digest number 20, which is dark mansions of forbidden love, which is uh, a, a collection, a collection of DC's Gothic romance comics, which they tried in the early seventies uh, which was not terribly successful. I think they had like two titles, like Forbidden Tales of something like Forbidden Tales and something else of Dark Mansions or something. And this was a collection of that. And this apparently is, as Digest Go, fairly hard to get because I remember buying it off of eBay for like 20 bucks because you just can't find it. I think it was probably, you know, not bought very much and not, not kept. So therefore, it's a, you know, in terms of the the um, digest, it's a fairly rare book. But I mean, it's got artwork in it by Alex Toth. You know, I mean, for Pete's sakes, I mean, you can't. That's awesome. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, you really you really can't get much better than that, uh, especially in terms. You know, while I I have kind of a love hate relationship with his Super Friends style. You know, uh, why, uh, what's the hate part of that? Um, I can't really explain it. It's just. I get to the point in watching the Super Friends where they went from the Alex Toth designs to the more Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Brace B's his name, name uh, designs, and it's just like, wow, I like those so much better. <laughs> I mean, as a kid level, I mean, I have, uh, I had, I bought all of those DC Direct Super Friends two packs. Oh yeah, uh, when they came out, so I can't say that I hate it, but on a gothic level, I think his artwork would be fantastic. Uh, because it could, because as cheery as some of that superhero stuff were, uh, were could uh, was, I could really see that same style being applied to kind of a, a a gothic type story and work better than maybe his superhero work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's as I said, it's it's a really really nice story, and it's something like forty pages long. I mean, so it, it's really. I mean, Toth did not do a lot of superhero work. Um, so I, I have a feeling like he did, he would do something like this just for the heck of it because mm-hmm. why, why else would he bother? You know what I mean? He, he was busy doing animation work, so he must've just for some level on some level just enjoyed doing the work, but yeah, it, it's, it's a really nice little book. I mean, it's like, it stands out cause it's the only one of its kind. Uh, DC never did another romance collection as a digest or a treasury. Uh, that's a whole other topic for 
for discussion someday is romance comics because like DC and Marvel did a ton of them and then just stopped doing them. I, I have a collection over the course of a month. You know, I mean, they went from five titles to no titles. Yeah, I have a collection of uh, uh, like a hardcover collection from like the seventies of DC romance books. Really? Uh, yeah, it was at the sc- it was at the public library. Wow! And they were selling it. Uh, so it doesn't have the original dust jacket, but I remember I read the entire book. And uh, let me tell you, if you read about three or four romance books, you've uh, you've pretty much read every other romance <laughs> story that's in that book. Right. Uh, I found after a while I had to read like four or five and then stop. Okay. Because if I read like ten in a row, it's like, God, I'm reading the same story over and over again. <laughs> Mysterious but, suitor, you know. Having said that, I love the fact that there were different genres and that Marvel and DC and all the other companies were trying to make it go on a variety of levels. You know, my heart will always belong to superheroes, but you know, comics are a medium. They're not a genre. Right. So you can tell other stories. And, and, and I think especially the special blue ribbon digest series uh, that ran from 80 to 82, you know, really delved more into their genre, DC genre stuff. Yeah, I mean they did a um, they did a, an all uh, House of Mystery issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a UFO issue, and it was just old like mystery in space and strange adventures reprints. Uh, they did a couple of Sergeant Rock collections. Uh, yeah, they really again they they branched out quite well. And um, strange sports stories, strange sports stories <laughs> with a with a Rich Buckler cover that has like. All of the heroes on one side with baseball glove, mitts and glove, uh, mitts and uh, balls, but they gave the bats to the villains, and this just seems like a recipe for trouble. Yeah, good idea, but. guys. Don't let Joker and a bat anywhere near Robin. That's a <laughs> bad idea. Or or a crazy or, or a crowbar, or any of those things. <laughs> but no, with the the strange sports stories, I don't think these were even really. These weren't even superhero stories at all. No, they're, so that, they're that, from, yeah, they're from the actual Strange Sports Stories comic. So I'm wondering if, like, a kid picked that up thinking it was going to be sports stories involving their favorite heroes and were just utterly and, and completely crushed. <laughs> uh, that Superman, it, it's, it's like that Superman treasury, the yeah, Bicentennial. Yeah, the Bicentennial, one. yeah. <laughs> Stupid <laughs> like, Tomahawk. Here are some stories of the Bicentennial. Hope you like the Revolutionary War era. I do remember feeling ripped off, even at that young an age. I was like, wait a minute, now come on. You know, but what the hell. That's how I learned who the presidents were. So, was but, but you also have Ghosts, which yep. was a, which was an actual DC title at the time uh, that ran for quite a while, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. And is featured in uh, the final issue of that, I believe it's the final issue, was uh, featured in uh, Friday the 13th Part 3. Really? Uh, was, yeah, when they stop at a... Uh, when the kids stop at, like, a, a grocery store, there's two comics that you can see clearly. One is Shang-Chi from Marvel, <laughs> and the other is Ghosts. Wow, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I have to, I'll have to go, like, for some bizarre reason now, I feel compelled to go hunt it down now just to see that scene. Jeez. But, you know, Our Army at War with this War is Hell cover by Joe Kubert. That proving that That's a brilliant that, cover. God, that is a brilliant cover, actually, yes. Because there's pictures in all of the letters as well, just like there's like entire stories going along going on within the letters of this cover. Yep. And, and you know it's it's funny because I I really don't have a whole lot of desire to track down like you know beyond what I have the romance books or even the mystery books. But there's something about the western and and, and war books that DC put out that are kind of calling to me, and I can't really explain why. Interesting. But just just that. It seems like they publish so many stories of those, mm-hmm. uh, especially of the war books, you know, with Sergeant Rock being such a popular character uh, for such a long time. I mean, how long did he – he sustained a series all the way into the, uh, like, late 80s. Yeah, started – yeah, yeah. And then did a series of, like, quarterly books after that. So, you know, they, they, they tried to keep him around as much as possible. And I think of all of, like, the the the, the – Let's let's be fair. Lame superhero stories I've read, where <laughs> maybe I'm missing the boat by not checking out the other genres that DC did. And then I think to to my mind, DC did always did a better job with their genre books than Marvel did. 
Yeah, I think, uh, that's, you know, I think they each had their strengths. You know, I think we talked we talked about this on the Fire and Water, but it's like I think Marvel's Western comics are just they they read like Marvel superhero comics without the superheroes. Mm-hmm. DC westerns are actual western stories. <laughs> you know, they they had particular artists. You know, that tended to be western artists as opposed to you know I, I you, it felt like in Marvel it was like. Who doesn't have any work this month? Oh, uh, Larry Lieber. Let's give it all right, here. Draw some western stories, you know. But I mean, you ha- you have uh, you know Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, and you really can't name any other war books <laughs> that Marvel put out. Whereas, as you guys discuss on Who's Who, you know, there's a litany of characters, and the western characters. I mean, you have Jonah Hex, you have Batlash, you have Scalp Hunter who I just love because he's just angry all the time. <laughs> I mean, that just, and he doesn't, and he really doesn't take crap off of anybody either. And you can team up these characters and have them work together or on their own. And they're, they're distinct. And I think with the war books, it's the same thing. I mean, Sergeant rock is, you know, would be considered, I think the most famous, but you know, the haunted tank, yep. the losers, all of those guys, the, I unknown, think, the unknown soldier. Those characters are the reason why the opening to DC, uh, to, to New Frontier, the comic series, worked so well is because you gave a crap about these characters because even though Darwin Cook was kind of writing his love letter to those characters, he was working with something that was already there. There was a reason why he loved them. So to have so many of these uh, special Blue Ribbon Digests devoted to those genres just... I mean, it just makes me want to buy all of them, as a matter of fact, just so I could just read through them. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the Jonah Hex earlier, and Jonah Hex has the unique, uh, unique. Uh, dis- I was about to say unique distinction, but that's a, both the same words. Uh, he has the distinction of being the only DC character who got his own Digest series. Superman never mm-hmm. did, Batman never did, but Jonah Hex did. There was Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales, which was its own Digest series, its own numbering. It ran for three issues. Um, so, you know, maybe it wasn't that big of a hit cause it, but boy, these are nice little books. I'm holding the first one right here as I'm talking and they featured these beautifully painted covers by Louis, uh, Louis Dominguez. Oh yeah. my God, they're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're just gorgeous. great. Especially that, that, the, the number two of the guy on the horse, oh. the rain's pouring down and it's just this, it's so moody oh. and it, it's just everything, and, and just all of the characters that, you know, like a bunch of the characters I was just describing. You have, like, in the second issue, you have three Jonah Hex stories, a Scalp Hunter story, El Diablo, an outlaw. Yeah. And it's just, it just makes for such a, such a neat assemblage of books. My friend Scott, for a very, very brief period before he ran out of time, was doing a Jonah Hex podcast, and I know he... Uh, he basically has collected every single one of Jonah's appearances. Huh. And uh, I don't know if he has these. I think he might. But that third one where the the roughnecks have staked somebody to the ground while a <laughs> rattlesnake's about to kill them. I mean, Jonah Jonah's in for a bad. I mean, he's going to get out of it because he's Jonah Hex. I mean, you just, yeah. you just know that. Yeah. But still, I mean, what a great way to introduce, uh, you know, people to your you know, your Western characters through these very distinctive covers. Yeah. I mean, they are, said the, the Western comics were, I think they felt like they were a little more adult or mm-hmm. I mean, probably a lot of them are written by Michael Fleischer who just leaned that way naturally. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they, they really were quite, quite distinctive and it was nice to so the DC, you know, brought this material out for people to see. Um, they, all the digests went away, uh, as of the mid eighties, the final issue, the one, the series that lasted the longest was Best of DC Digest. It ended with number 71, which was published in 1986. Um, you can sort of, as, as an, you know, I don't know, not accidental uh, symbol of how times were changing, the cover star of number 71 is Ambush Bug. Uh, yes. Which is, you know, like bringing postmodern and, you know, stuff into comics, which, you know, w- was not a facet of, of uh, superhero publishing before that. So it feels it almost feels strange to see Ambush Bug on a Digest cover because it just feels like two different worlds. And mm-hmm. and on the cover, he's even being a smart ass because you've got the the the, um, the theme of that issue was years best comic stories. 
and it's got covers from the issues that are selected, and Ambush Bug is blindfolded just throwing a dart at them. <laughs> you know, so you really were just kind of giving it a what the hell. And the final story, the final story in any final DC Digest was a hookah story from Atari Force, Hookah versus the Bob by Keith Giffen, <laughs> which was, you know, talk about like an anticlimactic way to go out. Um, yeah, so they yeah, were. Especially when you look at all of the stories that are in it. I mean, it starts off with The Day the Earth Died, uh, which was from uh, Superman number 408 where basically he has a dream of nuclear war. (laughs) And they follow that up with one of the greatest Green Lantern Corps stories ever, Mogo Doesn't Socialize. (laughs) And and, and it's nothing against Hookah, because I like Atari Force quite a bit, but still, that's not ending with strength. No, it just just feels like a goof, you know, (laughs) that it's just like we're wrapping up this this run with that. And uh, I remembered, I think I even bought that book at the time, and on the inside there's an editorial that says... This is the last treasure, last digest for a while, but they'll come back. And I'm like, okay. And of course, they never did. Uh, <laughs> they never did, because um, you know, at that point, DC's publishing, you know, was as was Marvel's, was was comic shop focused, mm-hmm. and uh, they were getting off the newsstands. And you know, comic shop kids uh, did not want to read digests. It just it wasn't it didn't interest them. Um, so they did. DC did bring back the digests, sort of in the mid-2000s with a series of digest-sized collections of Batman the Animated Series and Superman the Animated Series and Teen Titans Go! and some of the Warner Brothers characters, uh, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. And I bought every one of those. I was so happy that DC was bringing the digest back that I was like, i got to financially support these. So I bought every single book they came that they put out. They put out a, a Sergeant Rock collection, and a uh, book called Roots of the Swamp Thing, which is the Len Wein, Bernie Wrightson stories. And they all came out with like within like a year or two of each other. And I got so excited because I was like, they're bringing the digest back. You know, like, oh, my God, it's going to be great. And then they stopped again. So uh, it's kind of what happened with the Treasuries, where they brought the Treasuries back for all those Alex Ross books. And then they never did anything like them after that either. So And a couple of special ones like the Superman and the Fantastic Four one and right, all that. Right, right, right. So. The Heaven's Ladder JLA story. Well, I, I think the the reason for that, if I had to take a guess, is where are you going to rack these? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, treasury books are awesome, but comic shops, you know, being mostly mom-and-pop organizations to begin with, you know, they, they, they either buy as cheaply as possible or build their own racking, so you want to have that as uniform as possible. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, where are you going to put, uh, you know, digests are a little easier because they're smaller, uh, and, and what's a shame about that is it seemed like, and I'm not one of these people that, you know, is going to get on a soapbox and say we need to make comics for kids because we're losing kids, blah, 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 blah. I think that's, a, you know, I think that's an argument that both sides have a, have a pretty good reason for what they're doing and why they want it to be a certain way. You know, you're not going to get a kid into a comic shop, but it seemed like, a lot of kids were picking up those digests because they were kind of smaller in a different format and looked a little like manga. Yep, yep. So you had that as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I always figured that the digests are, were poised to make a comeback because of the manga format. It's, you know, that's what they look like. Um, mm-hmm. It's. I once asked because uh, I've I've said this on you know numerous occasions of like you know and and you mentioned earlier in the show that you know Archie has been selling digests at 7-Elevens and not, maybe not 7-Elevens anymore, but at newsstands and at supermarkets for decades. And, like, you know, they can do it. Why can't DC do it? And I finally asked somebody who knows about this stuff. I asked uh, Paul Kupperberg because we were talking about that, and, and he said, well, the main reason that DC does not do it anymore is because Archie has staked that claim for 20 years. They're not giving it up. Uh, they have basically built a relationship with these supermarket chains where they own that rack space. Yeah. And they are not giving it up. And for DC or Marvel to get it would be uh, a massive investment of time and money for no discernible payoff, maybe years down the line. Like, it wouldn't, it, you know, you can't just put these books in a supermarket for one month. And expect them to do any business. They've got to be there forever to establish buying patterns. 
and DC and Marvel just don't have the, I guess, the time or the money or the interest to devote to that, which is a darn shame because, you know, they both have such rich history. I mean, geez, I was impressed with the level of, of how deep DC's bench was in 1985, and that was 25 years ago. You know, I mean, they've only published that many more stories since. Um, another thing, too, is, you know, I like to romanticize these books because they were from my childhood. But I will admit, I have to admit, that part of the reason that these digests and the treasuries and all the reprints were so cheap is because they didn't have to pay royalties. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> nowadays, you do. And as an artist, as a creative person, I am totally in support of that. You should. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. But at the same time, I realize, well, that's kind of why you can't do these tra- these reprints anymore en masse because they are expensive to do. I mean, you know, 20, 20, in 1980, uh, they could put together a Doom Patrol collection uh, mm-hmm. of, of old Doom Patrol stories because they just had the stuff lying around in inventory. And you didn't have to pay anybody. You paid George Perez to do a new cover. But that was it. And you paid, you know, some of the in-house guys to make the mechanicals and put the book together. But that was the sum total of your cost. Well, now you'd have to pay, you know, Arnold Drake and Bruno Permiani and all all you have to pay all those people. And the the money's just not there to do it. And that's why, you know, you're going to do trade paperbacks on specific storylines that you know are going to sell. Yeah, that you know, I, I remember talking uh, with Jerry Ordway about that at one point because you know the contracts that started getting kicked out around 1976. It was basically after Jeanette Kahn came to DC Comics uh, and started doing more to kind of attract the talent, uh, which they they kind of had to do, and they. Basically, George, Jerry, Marv, everybody involved with Crisis on Infinite Earths had to take a loss to get that first hardcover out. Huh. You know, because it would cost so much to pay them because of how the contracts were structured that it was just kind of like, you know, DC wouldn't make any money off of it. Right. And and, and, and it's that double-edged sword like you're talking about. You want these people... You, you want to be excited for them because they worked at a time period. Like, Jerry Conway makes money off of Killer Croc. No matter where Killer Croc is used, right. if he says you're using Killer Croc, they're like, oh, yeah, here's your check. I mean, and that's fantastic yep. because it doesn't mean that he owns the character, but there's a difference between owning and profit participation. Right, yeah. And I think, you know, the image guys wanted to own their characters, which is fine because then... You know, if Spawn is put on a lunchbox, like there were lunchboxes in 1992, <laughs> but if Spawn is put on a lunchbox, you know, Todd gets a piece of that, you know. So on one hand, it's really exciting that, that that's the way it is. But then you think, well, now I can't get a trade paperback of certain stories without legal hoops being jumped through and art, writers and artists being asked, okay, we can put this in a trade, we can't pay you as much as we should. Is that okay? I mean, it's just, it's such a horrible, like, Gordian knot, yeah. I would think, just to go through. Uh, which is why it's so hard to get DC characters in movies and such. And you can't just have, you know, the, you know, you just, you can't just have the Legion on Smallville without contracts being signed. Yeah. Whereas Marvel doesn't have that problem, except if you're, you know, Spider-Man, the X-Men, or the Fantastic Four. You know, they, they could put Robert Downey Jr. at the end of the Incredible Hulk movie, and that's okay, because everything's owned by the same people. So DC's a little funnier. So yeah, getting getting certain reprints, you know, into a cheaper format is harder and now even Marvel's kind of going back on the cheaper formats by moving away from the essentials and going for epic, I think they're called, where they're putting together like runs of certain characters in full color, a little bit cheaper, but it's not like a showcase where you get 500 pages for $20. Right. You know? So, you know, not only are these time, these, these digest time capsules, they're, they're kind of a reminder of a simpler time where you could rip off town. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and the good old days. <laughs> And it, it, no, it's it's like it's like in the movie Basketball when they made the joke of when players were treated treated like indentured servants. Yeah. I mean, but then you have to think about the fact that you know I you know you read the digests, I read those from the 30s to the 70s books. That's what made us fall in love with comics to a certain extent. 
and yet people got screwed over to get those. So it's like, how badly do I feel about this? Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> like, it's a treasured childhood memory, but someone could have gotten paid that didn't get paid. Yeah, so there were probably like, a lot of comic people living in, you know, financial hardship because they didn't make money off their creation. But what the hell? I didn't care. I was 10, and I enjoyed it. You know, it's like, yeah, I have to be sort of emotionally honest and say, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's a sad fact, unfortunately. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to mention about the Digest before we wrap up, just to give a, a little more of a complete history. DC did do a couple other series of the Digest format. One was they converted Adventure Comics into a Digest series as of number 491 adventure comics was you know along with uh, action and detective dc's big you know flagship omnibus title but of course action was essentially a superman book and detective was a batman book adventure never had a consistent star you could argue i guess it was either the legion or aquaman because they both had longest runs in those books but adventure never really belonged to one person so they converted it to a digest as of number 491 which is in my hands. Awesome. It ran for a year. Uh, it featured mostly reprints, but occasionally a new story that uh, I guess had been left over for inventory. Like it features a new Challenges of the Unknown story. It features a new Captain uh, Captain Marvel story, which I'm sure was done because it's drawn by Don Newton. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that was done uh, for some other series. It just never saw the light of day. Um, the reason I love this this run of adventure is because it is the only, still to this day, the only place where Aquaman, the Aquaman run by Steve Skeets, Jim Aparo, and Dick Giordano has ever been reprinted. Ooh. Which to me is still the greatest Aquaman comics ever done, which was the Search for Mira storyline, which ran about a year in that book. Um, it has never been reprinted, even to this day, after all the Aquaman trades that are out there. This story has never been reprinted, but it's been reprinted here in the Adventure Comics. Uh, so, and that was the first time I ever read them. And I think that had to do with part of the reason I love Aquaman so much. Cause I wrote those stories. I was like, wow, these are fantastic. You know, I mean, these are really good. So, um, adventure comics, uh, ended up, uh, being canceled as a number 503. So it ended its life as a digest series. Um, and then one other series, DC had a, uh, another omnibus title called DC special series, which ran for around 26 or 27 issues. And that was clearly the title that they just slapped on whatever book they had lying around. Mm-hmm. Because in, the, in that series' short history, it was a regular-sized comic, it was a treasury comic, and it was a digest comic. Uh, DC was just trying to get around those postal regulations, I guess, but having to create a new series every time. So every every time they had a book, they're like, uh, DC Special Series. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, all right, that's fine. <laughs> you know, if, if you're like an anal comics collector and you're trying to store your books properly, that series is just a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> you know, because they're all different sizes. And, they're, and, they're, and the formats are just so different as well. You've got, like, it starts out with that uh, gorgeous... Uh, Neil Adams cover of Aquaman and Batman and Green Lantern. Uh, the five star hero spectacular. Yeah. yeah. So you have that, and then you have that great cover yet disappointing uh, Superman stories in the fifth one. And then you have now, maybe you can answer this for me. the The last three issues of that are Superman two, Superman and the Secrets of the Fortress of Solitude. Right. And Batman versus the Hulk. Yeah. Are those treasury-sized reprints of the treasury? Uh, are those, sorry, not treasury-sized. Are those digest-sized reprints of the treasury books? No, those are treasuries. Those are treasuries. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were done as, they were printed as treasuries. Um, uh, the super, yeah, they were, the digest, they were done, the DC Special Series digests were a couple of, a couple of issues before the treasuries. And then it mm-hmm. got converted into another treasury book, and then it just got canceled entirely. So, um, yeah, no, they never the digest never reprinted any of the any of those DC Marvel team up books, which too, it would have been too bad. That would have been really fun to have those in like a little pocket size. Yeah, especially that Wizard of Oz one, which that, uh, yeah, yeah, the two Wizard of Oz book, books so. they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, it's uh, you know DC gave it a shot. I mean, at one point they had something like four different digest series running. Uh, they really did give it a give it a go. Um, it's worth mentioning briefly, as I as I said at the top of the show, Marvel did do some digests. They of course gave Spider Man a series, of course, 
and uh, G.I. Joe had one, and Transformers had one. And makes sense. Makes it right. They had their licensed properties, but that was about it. I think even the Spider-Man Digest book, which was called Spider-Man Comics Magazine, uh, only ran like a year or two. I mean, for a Spider-Man title, that's a... I, I think it was... The Digest seemed something that Marvel was like, maybe we should try and do this. Yeah, man, I forget it. You know, <laughs> they just didn't really seem to care too terribly much. So, you know, as of when, when DC gave it up in, in 1986, that was the end of it. That was pretty much the end of the Digest, and they really, except for that brief spurt uh, in the mid-2000s, they've never come back, and as we've talked about, they probably are not going to come back because of the, the costs, you know, related to them. But they're out there. You know, they are out there. You can find them on eBay for, you know, relatively pretty cheap prices. I mean, some of them are more expensive than others, some of the harder ones to find. But um, there are some really great, like, Batman collections. There's a, um, there's a digest that collects an entire run of Batman stories that, that were spread out over a couple different Batman series and puts them between two covers, which is beautiful. It's, it's a shot of Batman getting shot in the back by Commissioner Gordon, which is an amazing book. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of really great material, and you can get them fairly cheap. And, you know, if you're not someone who is obsessed with the books being in, like, mint condition, which I am not. I just want something, you know, decent enough to read. Um, you really can, you know, get a lot of enjoyment for not a lot of money. So the digests are, are – and if you ever see them at a Comic-Con, uh, check them out. You know, I mean, I think they're they, – I think you'll, if you're a comic fan, you'll find a lot of fun stuff in there. There's a lot of really good material and, uh, you know, maybe some, some nice surprises to be found. Yeah, just read them just to get the experience of what it used to be like to read this kind of stuff. I mean, I, <clears throat> I'm going to need a tablet at some point in the near future, and I think it's going to be great to be able to read comics on it. But there's something about these books in specific that you sit down and it's, it just feels like an entirely different era. And uh, if they're $10 a piece, maybe you don't want to pick them up, like that one show was at. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little expensive. Yeah. But, you know, eBay lots are usually pretty inexpensive, or they're usually just a couple bucks a piece. Uh, last year I bought that, uh, one of my favorites, which is Best of uh, DC Blue Ribbon Digest number 16, which is the Happy Anniversary Superman, uh, covered by Rich Buckler, where Superman is being congratulated <laughs> by Batman, Robin, Batgirl, Captain Thunder, and Supergirl and his friends. Meanwhile... I don't know why they invited him to the party. Lex Luthor's <laughs> in the back, putting his thumb down like you saw. He's in his prison grace too. Really like he came, he came directly from prison to the party. He didn't even wish just to, to insult Superman. Just to insult Superman. He's such a dick, that Luthor. Uh, but yeah, as you say, yeah, ten dollars is a little much, but you can find a lot of money eBay for for just a couple of bucks and. They are they're really fun, and I'm going to post uh, some covers from these digests so you can see what we're talking about over on the Tumblr, which is uh, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, so I think that's going to be it. I think we I think we we had our uh, had our fun talking about digests. Um, as always, you can find me at the Aquaman Shrine, which is AquamanShrine.net. You can find Shag at Firestorm Fan, which is FirestormFan.com. You can email the show at firewaterpodcast@podcast.net. And Mike, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at FortressOfBailey2.com. I uh, also have a couple shows over on the Two True Freaks Network, like Tales of the JSA and Comics Monthly Monday. Uh, you can also head over to the Superman Podcast Network and find From Crisis to Crisis, Superman Podcast. Nothing new recently because of uh, real-life events kind of getting in the way of that. Uh, but plenty of uh, old material there to kind of look through, including, uh, one could say, an entire ripoff of the Who's Who podcast <laughs> by posting who's who pages over at the Superman blog, but still just, uh, I'm out there Absolutely. apparently doing too much. So. <laughs> well, Mike puts out so many podcasts that when there's a slowdown, there's only slightly less podcasts featuring Mike in any given week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Mike at reduced speed is more podcasts in a week than Shag and I do together in a month. So it's all relative, you know, which is good. I, I enjoy hearing, uh, hearing you, in podcast form. So there's always a show to listen to one way or the other. So that's always a good thing. Uh, so thank you very much for doing this, Mike. I appreciate you filling in for shag and I appreciate you spending some time talking digest with me. I just love these, these weird little formats and I'm glad I got a chance to spend an episode of the show doing it. Oh, great. Hey, did I insult shag at any point in this episode? No, go ahead. Man, no, no, I can't, I have to do it. Like, ugh, now I feel like I failed. <laughs> it has to come organically. Yeah, it, 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 otherwise it just feels forced. So, you know, you know. <laughs> I think uh, by just co-hosting with me and showing everyone how nice it is when someone doesn't interrupt 
each other, you're insulting him just by <laughs> your presence. That's the way I like to think about it. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Firewater Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Check out, again, check out the Tumblr to look at some, some of these awesome Digest covers. Come back next week. Until then, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman Super friends forever. Yeah! I also picked up the new Archie Double Digest. Oh, wait a minute. You saw that too. Double, double digest. What? 320 page giant size. Bet you've never seen an Archie comic this thick before. Holy my goodness, Christ sakes, crap. That is big. It's thick. It's brand new. Mmm, the pages. Oh my god, they feel so good on my face. Brand new Archie. I can't wait to read the stories. Oh my god, Archie and the gang in Monday, Monday. Uh-oh.